Chapter 41 The Final Voyage of the Rosalie As Walter rowed us steadily toward the isle that morning, I had the distinct sense that a great change had occurred. Yet, as often happens in life, I couldn't quite place my finger on what it was, or even why I felt as I did. But it was there, undefinable, yet undeniable all the same. Some major shift, an altering of our world's fabric, had taken effect, but I was utterly unable to explain it. Whatever it was, it left me deeply unsettled. All was eerily quiet as we moored the Rosalie against the isle's rocky shore and hurried up Emerald Hill. When we reached the summit and found it empty, Walter said, She must not have realized we were coming. Maybe winter was so long she stopped watching for us. Maybe, I said. We should go to the cottage. But as we hurried along the forest path, my heart quailed. What if the cottage wasn't there anymore? What if Mama had grown too lonely waiting for our return? What if she had decided to be with her own kind, beyond the trees and over the waters as Hattie had done? I stared ruminatively down at my feet. When I did, a happy realization stared back. The stones with which Mama had paved the forest trails were still here. Hattie's treehouse had disappeared after her decision to leave the isle. If Mama had gone away too, I figured all her creative works would have vanished with her, although I couldn't guess at what might have kept her from meeting us at Emerald Hill. Any lingering doubts were cast wholly aside when we rounded the final bend in the path. Mama's cottage and its surrounding gardens stood just as they had before our winter hiatus. While spring was slow to arrive in the world beyond the isle, here life bloomed in full array. Flowers flowered and branches budded. The hedges grew thick and leafy, shaped no longer like zoo animals, but in the fashion of a great castle wall. At the four corners where the elephants once stood, Magnificent turrets of green rose high enough to brush the lowest branches of the trees above. Of everything in the gardens, the most beautiful and wonderful was Mama herself. She stood beneath one of the fruit trees, leaning in to breathe upon its branches just as she had done during our first visit those many months ago. Tiny green buds appeared wherever her breath reached, as if she had blown away some invisible sheet which covered them. Mama! Walter shouted, and he ran ahead to greet her. She barely had time to turn before he jumped into her arms, weeping tears of mingled joy and sorrow. To see her after winter's eternity filled his heart, even as the despair of another looming absence emptied him. Oh, my baby boy! she exclaimed shocked to find Walter in her embrace. Glancing up at me, she cried, Peter, you're here too. She welcomed me into her arms also, squishing her two older boys together uncomfortably. But where is Pip? she asked when she released us. He couldn't come today, was Walter's dodgy reply. 
Mama was so overcome with joy, she accepted this response without further question. She embraced us again, rocking us back and forth as she said, I simply cannot believe you are here. But here you are, and I am so thankful for it. Why can't you believe it? Did you think we wouldn't come? Walter asked, a touch offended. Mama frowned and released us. She said, There is some sort of disturbance in my soul. I can't explain it, but I feel it growing every day. Some darkness of evil or sorrow. It has clouded my eyes so that I can't see as far as I used to. What is it? I asked, remembering my own uneasiness upon arriving at the aisle. A cloud in my heart. Like I said, I can't explain exactly what it is, only that I am sadder than I can ever remember. A sudden smile lit up her face, and she said, But you're here now, and my heart is glad for that, though you are finding me a bit unprepared. That's okay, said Walter. We only need you. Mama gave us a third hug and said, Come inside. It may be spring, but you both look like you could use something warm to drink. Not five minutes later, a steaming mug of hot chocolate rested between my palms. Seated upon the sofa, with Mama between us, we recounted for her the events of the past few months. When Walter told the tales of Daddy's threat to burn the boat and of the violin's violent demise, Mama wept aloud. Oh, John, you loved that violin. What darkness has crept into your heart? What sadness. Oh, I would be there for you in one beat of my heart if I could. But I can't. I can't cross that divide. After allowing her a moment to regain her composure, Walter continued, saying, I haven't even told you the worst part. Daddy's making us go on a trip with him. And why is that so bad? She wondered. Because we'll be gone for two months moaned Walter. Maybe three. We don't want to be away from you that long, especially after we couldn't see you all winter. Perhaps that is the darkness hanging over me, Mama mused, although she sounded unconvinced. Another long stretch without my boys. But I will manage. Don't you get lonely here? I asked. Well, yes, Mama answered but I have my gardens to manage and games to plan. I'll be okay. Did Daddy say where he's taking you? Out west, said Walter, to see Yellowstone and a bunch of other places. Like on your posters, Mama exclaimed. You should have more than enough fun. I won't, Walter petulantly replied. Not without you, and not with Daddy. Why not with Daddy? Walter hesitated to answer. He didn't want to cause her further pain. Tell me, Walter. He sighed and said, Daddy is different now. He's changed. On Christmas, after Daddy broke his violin, we spied on Abigail and Grandma and Grandpa and Pastor Wainwright, and they said they don't trust him. Grandma even wanted to take us back to Castleton with them. They said he was drinking too much. They're worried he'll hurt us next time. 
Mama sat for a minute, tacit and deep in thought. More tears welled in her eyes, though the sadness behind these was more smoldering and less impassioned. Finally, she said, Perhaps that is the darkness I've been feeling. John, you have lost yourself. How will you be found again without me? There's one more thing, Walter said. I'm afraid to hear it, but tell me anyway, Mama moaned. Daddy knows about you. Peter told Pastor Wainwright, and he told Daddy. He thinks it's all make-believe and crazy, us coming out here to see you. He said he wouldn't let us anymore. Mama's expression turned immediately stern. Then why are you here? Huh? replied Walter, caught off his guard. If Daddy told you not to come, why are you here? Because we wanted to see you before we leave on this stupid trip, Walter exclaimed. We even skipped school. You shouldn't have done that, Mama interrupted. I know you wanted to see me, and God knows I wanted to see you too. But that didn't give you the right to disobey Daddy and sneak out here. In a tiny voice, Walter asked, What else were we supposed to do? Mama stood. Approaching the window where her baby's bassinet once stood, she gazed into the gardens beyond. You must go home, she said abruptly. Now! The darkness is deepening, and there is only one way I see for the light to dawn again. How? Walter dolefully wondered. How can it if we can't be with you? You misunderstand, she replied. That's not what I'm suggesting. I believe the time has come at last. You must convince Daddy to come here and see for himself. I already told you, Walter protested. He thinks we're crazy. There is a way you might convince him, said Mama. How? Walter and I asked together. Back when I first moved to Pierre and was working at the flower shop, she said, a teacher friend of mine, Otto Schertzinger, introduced me to Daddy. It was obvious he was trying to arrange something romantic between the two of us, but at the time neither of us was very interested. Daddy was focused on work, and I was focused on, well, on not-so-old men. But Otto invited us both to his Christmas party a few months later. That was where Daddy and I began to fall in love. How will that help us convince him to come here? Walter asked. That night, Mama continued, ignoring Walter's question. Before I kissed him for the first time, I said, You know, I like you a lot better after a few drinks. And then I kissed him, and after I kissed him, he told me, Then thank God for whiskey and eggnog. And he kissed me again. Some light of enthrallment glinted in Mama's eyes as she hearkened back to this scene. Despite everything we had shared about Daddy's current state of alcoholic turmoil, he remained the man she loved and cared about more than anything else in the world. She saw past the twisted shadow he had become, and knew her good husband and the gentle father of her children was still there, buried beneath the detritus left by her sudden departure from the world. Walter must have seen what I did in Mama's expression, 
because it was with renewed confidence that he said, Okay, I'll tell him. He'll have to believe us then, right? How else could we know unless you told us? In my own heart, I still felt a stirring of apprehension. I had used a similar tactic when trying to convince Abigail of the truth. I had even shared an exact description of how Mama appeared in her dreams, but it had backfired. Abigail simply devised an alternate, and much more sensible, explanation for my uncanny knowledge. So why shouldn't Daddy, so strong in his disbelief, do the same? But Mama and Walter seemed certain about the plan, so I kept my mouth shut. Let's hurry back to Emerald Hill, Mama said, making for the door. Leave your hot chocolate. A minute later, as we all hurried along the flagstone path, Mama gave us further instructions. When you arrive at Asphodel, find Abigail. Admit to skipping school and coming here. The criminal who voluntarily confesses is always treated with much more leniency. It'll also build your credibility in Daddy's eyes, and we can't have too much of that for the task at hand. Then, when Daddy comes home, waste no time. Tell him you have a message from me, and share those exact words. I like you a lot better after a few drinks. A bit ironic, considering what you told me about Daddy's current problem. But he'll see the meaning behind it. I know he will. And if he still seems unconvinced, tell him that second part, too. Then thank God for whiskey and eggnog. Got it? Got it, repeated Walter. He sounded triumphant already, like the heavily favored Olympian who has underestimated his dark horse opponent. Atop Emerald Hill, Mama kissed and hugged us farewell, and we hustled away to carry out her instructions. With any luck, we would return later that day, all four of the Luther men, to reunite as a complete family. So rejuvenated was Walter's spirit, he even whistled as we cast off from shore. It was his whistling which triggered my sudden realization. When we had arrived on the aisle, I couldn't shake the sensation that some great change had taken place, but couldn't define what that was. Now, thanks to Walter's twittering like a merry bird in early spring, it hit me. Walter, I whispered, the trees. The branches were empty. Oh yeah, he said as if it made no difference whatsoever. I didn't notice before. No cardinals. Well, not all of them left. There are still a few, way high up in the trees. Where do you think they went? I asked. South, probably. Isn't that what birds do? But who cares, anyway? I did. But Walter would pay my concerns no heed, so I let the matter drop and said nothing more. Faster than ever, Walter navigated the Rosalie across the frigid waters of Lake Acheron. Once ashore, we dragged the rowboat onto dry ground. On a normal day, we would have taken a few minutes to flip it upside down, so as to keep out dew and rainwater. We would have stored the life preservers and oars properly in the lakeshore shed, where they would be safe from the elements. 
Had we treated our faithful ship with the respect and attention she deserved, everything may have turned out different. Perhaps that morning's voyage across Lake Acheron wouldn't have been her last. But our task was too pressing, and our redemption too near at hand. Leaving the boat upright, we sprinted up the hill toward the house. During our return trip across the lake, we had imagined carrying out Mama's plans as precisely as she had described them to us. Confess to Abigail, relay Mama's message to Daddy. So simple, it seemed foolproof. Which is why we were so easily caught off our guard. When we entered the back door, we had expected to find an empty dining room. Instead, three figures were already present, waiting for us around the table. Pastor Wainwright, Philip, and... Take a seat, Daddy snarled. 